Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's been a while since I've done a podcast. Um, been too busy making wine and traveling around trying to sell it. Um, but as always, the podcast is sponsored by Decibel Wines and DecibelWines.com. Probably by the time you guys hear this, uh, I'll have the web store up, which should be up in the next couple days. So I'll probably release this in a couple days. So go to the website, buy your Christmas wine, send me a note. There should be some new wines for sale, some new reviews up, uh, which actually I want to talk to Bryce about in a little bit. Not so much about my particular wine, but the ideas of that. And uh, yeah, uh, so go to decibelwines.com. And um, uh, today I'm with Bryce Edmonds, a buddy of mine from around the corner. And we're here in, dude, this is my first outdoor podcast I've done. This is extremely exciting and it's still not dead of summer, so... Uh, it's pretty good to be sitting out here. Yeah, lucky it wasn't any night last week. We had sideways rain coming <laughs> in most of the weekend. Yeah, well, this sort of outdoor half shed we're in is... Uh, Ideal for parties. Yeah, parties. it was pretty good. But unfortunately, we had rain pouring down, and I'm surprised your electricity still working out here <laughs> at this point. Um, but yeah, no, we're in the lovely Bridge Pod district, and you're basically right on the outskirts of the booming metropolis of Bridge Pod town. Hmm. Uh, but really on the Triangle District here, uh, which I've spoken about in the past uh, on the podcast. It's a great Compar- spot for growing grapes. Yeah, compared triangle. to the gravels and how it's different, but you know, very similar climate, slightly different soils. Uh, and you have a family vineyard here, which we're at right now. And what's on the vineyard? Uh, it's mostly Merlot. We've got seven hectares here. Um, Two-thirds is planted in Merlot. Uh, we have about a he- just over a hectare of Malbec, um, which I believe you took yes. some of that in 2011. Oh, yeah. for your, Actually, um, the 2011 Malbec that from this vineyard is on sale. Well, only in America, actually. I sent it all okay. to the States. I didn't think anybody would hear would want any and then all of a sudden people are like where's your Malbec at and it's a great wine I, did, I think I, I have tried it a couple of times and I've enjoyed it both times um, I gotta send some back this way so that uh, I keep saying I'm gonna do it but at some stage it's gonna run out and I'm not gonna have any left we won't talk about what happened in 2012 12 yeah or 12. 2013 for your Malbec uh, yeah, yeah no that was 14 14, sorry. 14. That's right. yeah. Um, yeah, what are you going to do with these things? <laughs> they, they, uh, it, it all worked out. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Merlot, Malbec, we've got a, about a 0.3 of a hectare, or I say eight rows of Cabernet Franc, and um, 0.7 of a hectare of Simeon, which I'm not sure was the best option in retrospect. Perhaps some Chardonnay might have been a better call. Yeah, it seemed like it was a bit of a trend back in the day here in Hawke's Bay, yeah, Simeon. Yeah, my cousin uh, Grant decided that Simeon was going to be the winner, and I think he might have... Um, Missed out on that Missed one. Missed out on that one, yeah. Sadly. So you do it all over again. You it's put funny I say that, but I think the Simeon has actually probably mo- made the most money on a per hectare basis uh, across any of the varietals from this vineyard. So maybe it was a good option. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it does grow good in the area. It's just, I think, uh, you know, what to do with it and what the public perceives as it. As, uh, yeah, it's a know, difficult sell, the old Simeon. Yeah. It's makes great sticky wine and obviously it's good for blending you should talk to Guillaume he loves Simeon ah, okay. yeah, might Guillaume have a potential buyer in Guillaume previous podcaster podcastee would you call it yeah podcastee sounds good um, I think yes. most of our Simeon ends up in the Melbourne Avenue on Blanc sadly but yeah 
It would be nice to go through and really bring it down to a couple of kilos of vine and make something interesting out of it. Would yeah. you make a dry style? I was thinking about that today, actually. I was wondering what would be the best option. I was thinking maybe whole bunch press and do the whole Chardonnay thing and see how it comes out. You know, Do a bit of lee stirring and a bit of wild ferment and just see what sort of funky number you can come up with. But, um, yeah, who knows? I'll, yeah. Well, it's good you're thinking outside the box. I think <laughs> yeah. that's part of the reason why I'm here. And another timely um, uh, reason why I'm here, well, it's circumstance while I'm here. Is I was just before I got here, I looked online. So I got an email that an article uh, with both of us in it is about to be in the Hawks Bay Wine Growers magazine. And I quickly perused yours uh, and mine and uh, looks good. And yeah, so what's real interesting about you, I've talked to a lot of different people on the podcast at different parts of their career, doing a lot of different things. Uh, over the last six months, I mean, you've been making wine on your own for... Since 2006 was the first vintage I made my own barrel of wine. But within the last six months, you've really pushed forward into releasing wine under your own label and... I would like to, yes. I've got the wine in bottle there in Cleanskins at the moment, um, although there is a slight screw cap issue, which I haven't got to the bottom of yet, but we can talk about that later on. <laughs> but um, a mere two barrels at this stage, but yeah, I do have something I can sell legally. Um, there's a few more hurdles to jump in the meantime. But, but I've had your wine before that was trying to just pass on to friends with the under the Alchemy label, yeah, uh, which were awesome wines, but that was... Uh, not legal, I guess, <laughs> or it just wasn't all part of a system that, no. unfortunately, you have to be a part of. So Yeah, yeah, and that was the beauty of it, I guess, you know, being able to make one or two barrels of wine and not have to go all through the legal jargon and, yeah. and bullshit and just enjoy it, share it with friends, swap it for venison or olive yeah, oil yeah. or whatever you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, just enjoy it. But I guess it got to a point where we wanted to take it a wee bit further, not just make one or two barrels, but then make four or five barrels and then start to buy the odd new barrel and just slowly make better and better wine over the years. Do you find that uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, a little scary or a little bit of a, a turning point when you say, okay, for years I've been helping other people make wines. Yeah, I've made some wines on the side, but now I'm getting to the point where I'm going to release wine to the public under my label this is me this is my stuff and now you're going to be your critique you know you're going to be critiqued as you've critiqued many other people oh, i find it quite through. exciting to be honest dan I don't, i'm not really too worried yeah. what other people think of my wine i know what it is yeah it's, it's pretty honest wine i don't really try and manipulate it much in the vineyard i don't really like in the winemaking industry you find that lots of people have these massive egos and they think they're I don't know. They think they're God. Yeah, yeah. There's I a lot guess. Of, and the, uh, a lot of dicks in the Yeah, well, exactly. But these egos, I mean, they think they manipulate the grapes, manipulate the wine, and they're making their own unique style of what they think they can bring to the table. But I kind of try and step away in the winemaking and just do as little as I can, I guess. I'm a pretty relaxed individual, so doing as little as I can is... <laughs> no, less invasive, much. I think, is a good way to go. I'd say I'm pretty much along those lines. If anything, just trying to show you know be true to the to the place and be true without sort of cheating too much and yeah and then obviously you know all this extra steps cost a lot of money too and Mm. and uh if you want to try to do something crazy with it i just got an email about those new concrete eggs coming Uh ah yeah i got one of those from tony tony bush yeah Yeah. 
I was quite interested until I saw the price tag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I sent him a note. And I said, hey, man, this looks awesome. And let me know if there's any trials going. I can't afford it right now. Yeah. He made a good point, though. He said that, uh, as for people who don't know, there's these, uh, a bit of a trend that's picked up in the last seven or eight years. I'm sure people were doing it before that. But basically, there's these concrete eggs. Now they're fitting them with at least stainless steel lids and, uh, lids doors, and, and doors so that they're a little easier and stands and things like that. But they're uh, fermenting or fermenters, but I guess you could store wine in there too. Uh, so you want to get the most money out of it as you can. And yeah, they're supposed to have great convection and you know, great way to develop flavors and things like that. I mean, what else do you know about them? They um, it's supposed to be easy to wreck, I guess, yeah, yeah, as okay. the wine goes down the tank and the all pulls in the bottom of the yeah sphere so is there like a hole at the bottom or something or i thought um, it was just like a door at the no there's no hole in the in the bottom of it but there's a door that you can rack from yeah and there's yeah. your rack it's quite, it's quite easy but um what was it what was the price tag dan seventeen thousand yeah, dollars for a two-ton vessel he his his point was which i get is that it's when you work it out it's about the same as buying new french oak but you can keep it forever you know what i mean as far as a new french oak which after your third year you're basically looking at yeah. just a vessel on itself as well i'm definitely interested to to work out who he has who he is selling them to and to yeah, taste yeah. taste said wines once I, that's what i said done, i said let me know who gets them and i want yeah. some trial <laughs> to taste the wine. you wines. wanted me to pass it on to my boss so i said seventeen thousand dollars do you know my boss <laughs> yeah 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 exactly but I, I think going back to what you said about ego in the industry sometimes it takes those personalities and those egos to to say yep yeah, i'm fuck, i'm gonna spend seventeen thousand on this because my wine deserves it and i'm gonna try something crazy and you go all right cool i'll go taste it yeah okay so yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um so it takes it, it certainly takes some balls to to do it and it, well, i think in the wine industry yes you do need a bit of ego you need a bit of arrogance or confidence i guess strong confidence to really make it because there's so many people trying to put the head above the rest put the head above you know, everyone else um yeah, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. That's. I think that helps. We've all got a bit of that. There's no reason. We just, we just, you have yeah. to be a little, have a little of that to decide you want to yeah. put a wine out to it. But well, I guess yeah. from what you're saying, then, am I scared about or apprehensive about bringing it to the I public? Wouldn't say, I wouldn't I'm looking say forward it. to being critiqued. I really yeah, like yeah. to hear what people think. And I think everyone's always, most people that you give to try your wine, they always say, yeah, that's great, that's nice, but they'll keep their critique to themselves. Um, but I'd rather they told me the the how I could improve it or what they really think. Um, I think I, I, I get more from that. I gain more from that, and I can make a bit of wine. Yeah, I think that knowledge, you know, because you end up with a seller pellet, and over time, and, and you know your own wine's better front, but it's good to get. Take the blinders off and have yeah. somebody tell you the real deal. Exactly. Well, that, our little meetings we've been having the last uh, few months have been really good, and uh, I had a couple of the other guys comment that you've been the one who's seemingly moved along the fastest out of the group to. Uh, all of a sudden every you know the from what the first time we met which was in july to now it seems like oh he's about to release a mm -hmm. wine and to some of the other folks uh but you know they probably don't understand you've been at it like you said since 2006 yeah, and yeah. you're just kind of getting the final stages done yeah um but you've always been real forthcoming to say like no guys tell me the real deal what, mm. what do you think's wrong with this what do you think i can do better and you got to be that way uh, you know why would you want people to just say, yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, and exactly. <laughs> and talk about how bad it is behind your back. Yeah. 
I'm sure there's that happens. Uh, <laughs> I've not people. got no doubt. Um, but yeah, like I said, you've been at it since. Well, 06 is when you started making some of your own stuff. How long have you been working in a winery or a vineyard? Did you uh, grow up on this property, first of all? No, I didn't grow up on this okay, property. I, I didn't think so. Yeah. grew up in Wellington. Um, oh. Born in Wellington. I should have known that. You know, you yeah. seem so proper. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Hawke's Bay boy. But um, you brought up in Wellington. Just lived 18 years in Wellington. So all my... Um, childhood, basically. Childhood, yeah. High school and um, whatnot. And then... I guess at the end of my last year, of, so year 13, I think they call it now, end of seventh form, uh, my father sold up his pharmacy in Wellington and um, bought a, an eight-hectare property um, in Bridge Park. Uh, it wasn't planted. It used to be used to raise horses. Um, my brother essentially uh, planned it out and, and, and established it or led the establishment. Um, my brother Dave is—he's been in the wine industry for longer than I have. He was working for Cellini at the time as a cellar hand, and in the spare time um, in 1998, he, yeah, bought all the posts and got all the wire and and uh, got out a whip and and got me into gear and got us all out there and yeah, planted. Um, we planted it stepwise, so I think we did about four hectares the first year and then a couple of hectares in the following couple of years. Um, yeah, and that was so our yeah we planted in '98, which happened to be an outstanding vintage here in Hawke's Bay. It was unbelievably hot, coming from Wellington and then having to plant vines in the January or whatever it was, December. December, heat. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So, but would that sort of real hot, dry heat be good for baby vines? Um, that's a good or question. Uh, probably not ideal, to be honest. As long as you've got enough water, uh, yeah. you should be fine. Um, so you guys were all right. We were okay. That better than the alternative, which would have been. You know, we we made a, a wee bit of a mishap on our second year of planting. Uh, my brother decided to to give grafting a, a go, and we did everything. We did the whole process from um, yeah, did the whole grafting process. But uh, we kind of uh, only got about a thirty percent success rate. Sadly, thirty <laughs> percent success. Oh, in thirty that, to forty. It was. We were. I mean, I think we were aiming for seventy plus. But um, well, when you say that percentage, though, do you mean that the vines that you grafted on were they actually? That once they actually they, lived or that they actually turned into what you wanted them to turn into? Yeah, only 30% success. So what, what do you mean? Well, you grafted uh, you, you grafted vines onto current vines? No, no, no. no, Not field grafting, but just um, just grafting rootstock um, yep. onto sign wood. Um, yeah. And then at, 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 like table grafting and yep. then yeah, um, putting it in. Um, oh, so you wanted a specific rootstock with, yeah, yeah. with, we, yeah. with a certain variety. Yeah, exactly. Or, or so we went, around the, we went around the, um, went to my uh, cousin's vineyard at Red Metal and then got the, the sign wood that we wanted from there and, and, mm-hmm. and, and used that, chopped it up and then sized it up and then matched it with um, the rootstock, which we got from down the road as well and did the whole thing. Had, had it worked out, we would have saved ourselves a few dollars of vine, which is quite a bit of cash when you yeah, think yeah, about yeah. 17,000 vines on this property. Um, but I think the issue was the last hurdle when we were putting the um, putting the vines into the black plastic, um, just like just the stage just before you're going to plant them, looks like a nursery stage, I guess. And a friend of mine was actually working on the vineyard at the time, and we you're supposed to poke a hole in the plastic with a with a stick first, and then put your plant in. Mm-hmm. But he just put the the, the stick in so all the black plastic got caught inside the roots and then uh, I think that's what stunted the roots and that, that so blame that. your buddy that's exactly good. I have yeah. to, ever since <laughs> every time he comes over I bring it up <laughs> yeah we oh, had each that's other that's good that's good 
was just talking to on the phone actually when you came in. Uh, okay. Well, at least you're still talking. About it, I guess. <laughs> so what? Um, so then after that, you just that was '98. So that was my first year out of school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so as uh, my father and uh, was establishing a vineyard, I decided to do some tertiary education um, at EIT and um, did a grape growing a certificate in grape growing and winemaking. So it was a one year course. Um, really enjoyed the course itself. Um, bit of an eclectic crew in the certificate. There were ex truck drivers and anybody still around. Um, to this day yeah, your ex flatmate actually. I think Tom. Tom. Tom Heath was. Um, he was. Yeah. He was doing that the same year I was. Um, There's only about three or four school leavers. He was one of the school leavers. Um, I can only think of about school. Le- that means somebody ran out of high school. School leavers, yeah. So yeah. eighteen year olds just out of high school. School leaver, yeah. Okay. Right. Catching um, on to the New Zealand lingo after <laughs> seven years. <laughs> so yeah, there was about four of us, I guess. Um, I got on with Tom quite quite well, and a few other guys. But yeah, he's a good dude. I was getting um, phone calls from my mates down in Dunedin and Wellington, having an awesome time. Um, Drinking basically. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> ex- it's not exactly the college or the what most people think of as the university experience in in, nah. any, in any country at EMT. Mm. It's no. it's a trade school basically. Yeah, exactly. Tech school. Um, as much as I enjoyed the course, I just didn't uh, yeah, gain as much socially as I would have hoped, and so I, I, I gave it a. Um, I, 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 yeah, I passed the course, enjoyed the course, um, and then decided to do a commerce degree down in um, Otago. Oh, that's I did a bachelor in um, commerce managing and so Targa's like management and marketing. Party bro down there now, or yeah, yeah, that's party central. Yeah, well, it's just every that's is that the biggest uni? Oh, I think it could be, yeah. And there's basically the whole town's run by university students. What the area t- around the university is basically 100 percent flat. Uh, every flat on every street is a what? Um, what town in Otago is it in? Dunedin. Oh, Dunedin. Yeah, yeah. that's in the main. City. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That all yeah. makes sense. I don't know why I never made that connection. Because I know Dunedin was a big college town, and I knew there was an Otago school, but I didn't realize it was okay. Dance catching on. <laughs> um, and then after that, you were going to travel the world and conquer. So yeah, after that course, um, just managed to get through with C's and B's. C's um, get degrees, man. Yeah, they do. They do. Just but a marketing degree, it's not really worth much these days, as I found out <laughs> shortly thereafter. Um, so I actually had. I missed out a couple of papers while I was down there, so I ended up having a half, like a semester left. Um, so I decided to to go to, a, to uh, go to the university for the second semester, and the, the for the first semester I did a vintage at um, Tiawa. Now uh, I had done my two week practical that I needed to do at EIT um, at Tiawa with Jenny Dobson, um, and so yeah, I, I gave Jenny a call, um, ask if, I, if she wanted some a help a hand for. For the 03 vintage, I think it was, mm-hmm. and um, she was happy to give me the opportunity. So I worked there for a harvest, and w- uh, was a worked out a- what real work was all about, and working 80, 90, 100 hour weeks, some weeks, and yeah. um, bit of a shock to the system, I guess, when it really hit full flight. But after I'd finished, I, I, I thought that was a really big achievement, and I really, really enjoyed it, and um, wanted to give winemaking a go, I guess. Yeah, she she's a pretty good person to meet early on. No, she's awesome. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, well, it's interesting because, you know, I'm sure there'll be people, I know there's people that listen to this in other places, other countries, and I, I talk to people every year, every year, 
before harvest, even all year. And when I go to the States, particularly the places outside of like California and Oregon who are just like starving to come to a place like New Zealand to experience that. And, uh, well, you kind of just walk into it. So it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's, uh, and, and it's like this huge mystery to people. It's like, well, how the hell do you get into the wine industry <laughs> into that? And it's like, you sure you want to go down this path before yeah, yeah, yeah. you do it? And I guess uh, my, I mean, the main reason I went to Tiawa, I guess they were initially when I had to get my two weeks work experience, they were just down the road from me, you know. Yeah. So it was just the fact that they were close was the main reason I went down there. They would have been pumping then too. It was they like, were doing pretty well for themselves. Yeah. 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 Yep. That was uh, sort of heyday time there. I yep. can remember drinking some 2002. Boundary, boundary and yeah, stuff yeah. that was really good that was a great year i'm pretty sure that particular year actually picked up a trophy later on for Decanter. i'm sure it, i'm sure it did it was uh that was some pretty great times back then from at least the wines that i tasted and some other people i've talked to some of our peers and friends mm. and jenny and oh, people yeah. like that That's so amazing wines made, made off that property um and then after vintage that year after vintage that year well obviously i went back down and finished my course in dunedin and then i saw winemaking was really as a a way to travel the world to be honest um yeah i could see you know you work you work your ass off for three months in a in the northern hemisphere and then you can um travel for three months and then you do another three months in the southern hemisphere and then you travel for three months and spend half the year traveling that's what was right up my alley at that at that time i was i was about i guess i was about 22 yeah, years time. old, 23 yeah. years old, you know. So I just really saw it as Soiling a, your Wellington Oats at that stage, yeah, you know, your Royal Wellington Oats. Something like that, yep, yep. <laughs> just trying to think of where... So yeah, started off... Um, so I did another vintage straight after that, so 2004, um, did another one at Tiawa. Hmm. Um, then went to California um, through the Californian Agricultural Exchange Program. Yeah, I, never, I always forget to ask you what, who you worked for when you were there. Uh, Cuvaison. I don't know then. So they had a, they got a couple of, well, they've got two facilities now. Um, they were based in Calistoga. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's their old facility in there. Is that where the feigning goats are or whatever that they, yeah. Calistoga is a very north part of uh, Napa, it's right? It's the top of Napa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Above St. Helena. Yeah, there's supposedly some famous feigning goats that aren't, that are like a bit of a tourist trap, I think, up there. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, it, was a, it was the better of the towns going up Napa, in my opinion. So no, no, it's a great, great little it place was, up there. three or four bars there, whereas every, every other place didn't. It was like one, maybe yeah. two bars. Um, or just, you know, uh, St. Helena is like just packed with tourists. Yeah, and every property is probably worth at least 1.5 million US as sure. well. It was crazy. Back then, and who knows what it is now. Yeah, yeah. You know. I remember right. waking up early in the morning to get to my um, to get a lift with the Mexican fella, and he, uh, you'd see Mexicans sweeping the sidewalk at six o'clock in the morning. It was madness. Yeah, there's so much money that gets poured into that place, and I think it gets really well. It gets it can get frustrating when you live in a place like Hawks Bay when you go. We make some great great wines here, and you forget that okay. On the one hand, Napa makes, you know, they really, they they supposedly had a bad season one time when I was doing a vintage there, and I was like, you guys got to be kidding me. This is still so hot, and the fruit's great and all that. But people forget that so much of that success lies on the fact that they're, you know, an hour north of San Francisco, hmm. and they're in a, you know, a state in America that if it was its own country, I think it would be like, 
the 10th biggest country in the world or it's something some, yeah, or 20th yeah. or it's something ridiculous they provide you know? an extremely large percentage of the total wine for the u.s yeah i'm not sure if there's that number but it's something like 70 or 80 percent and, what, and so. it wasn't always that way i mean when i was younger california wine was you know it, it was okay and it wasn't you know there was definitely some people that were making some premium stuff and there was it was developing a reputation but Particularly on the East Coast where I grew up, it was all European stuff, and it was it was still even though the great tasting of '76 happened and all that, and there the Paris tasting, it still wasn't like this great reputation really until the '90s, and then yeah. you know as it goes on and on and on, and the next generations take over, and that that reputation is obviously what it is now that mm. they're just you know there's just boatloads of money being poured massive amounts of money people What's people make their millions in the stock market or yeah Wall Street or whatever lo- and they lose what it. can i do with my <laughs> 10 billion dollars i don't yeah. know I'll, I'll go and build a state-of-the-art winery and and there's crazy California. stories too there's anybody from yeah stock market and google's and you know and that's that oh, that sort of uh dot-com money's come in in the last 10 or 15 years and there's been you know hollywood movie people and uh even you know famous writers and people that you you didn't know you know there's coppola and people like that oh that, the, the singer from tool tool yeah but he's i think in arizona oh, is he? or something oh, okay. there's supposedly okay. a documentary about him that yeah. i really want to see yeah, because i want to see that too i think he i i, I love tool and i and uh i had a my bro, uh, my buddy of my brother's who was just like so into him and what's his name Dave Mustaine is that Maynard James Man, uh, James Maynard uh, Dave Mustaine somebody totally different but he's like Megadeth or something like that <laughs> but yeah I wanted to see that because you I wanted to see that too my brother saw it and he realized it was on Sky so he went to my, I don't have Sky myself but he went to my father's place and set it to record and Dad watched it and then happily deleted it straight uh, afterwards I was like he saved that for me uh, Dad come on. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> uh, I'm sure this day and age you can easily find it yeah, on yeah. some online sure store yeah. somewhere. Uh, well, that's cool. So then you were in California and then. So California for three months. Um, yeah, Cuvées on. So they had two facilities. They had one in Carneros and one in Calistoga. And the one in Carneros was brand new. So things ran unbelievably easily and simply. They had like pneumatic plungers for all their Pinot vats. And wow. They just had massive amounts of space. So they were doing Calistoga Pinot or? They were doing Or like Alexander Carneros. Yeah, just yeah. around, a lot, a lot yeah. of um, grapes around the winery. And they harvest at night as well, which I Yeah, that's still nuts. to this day real big. Yeah. I lived on a place that went out, sort of backed into a vineyard, and yeah, they'd have big floodlights and guys, not not machine harvesting, hand, hand har- harvesting at night. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild. Um, so that was almost too easy there, though, way. Eh? Everything was started there. Everything was planned amazingly well, and everything worked really well, um, which almost made it boring to a you point. You can't have that in the wine industry. <laughs> what, I, what, I did, what I did find interesting is the, um, the kind of analysis on the grapes that you, you're getting. We were getting Pinot in at 30 bricks, and, you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, there's the, sort of a lot of... Uh, back formula in the way they make wine in yeah. Napa so I, it's like I was introduced to Jesus units for the first time yeah Jesus units where they're adding water and as almost almost automatically you're adding you know I don't know five grams of acid maybe more per yeah. liter and uh because but people think or at least I certainly thought when I before you know when I really learned about wine and I, when I came to New Zealand I really learned about winemaking in Hawke's Bay, so that when I went back to California, I was like, well, why the hell, we make good Cabernet, I mean, it's not, doesn't get always ripe, 
every year, but it's like nine out of 10 years. And even in that 10th year, it's marginal in Hawke's Bay. I'm not saying in every region too, but certainly in the triangle and the Giblet gravels and places like that. But I was thinking, what we have in our head. And I know I've talked to other winemakers that, Oh, they just make wine at 15% because they, that's what they think the public likes, or that's what they think Parker likes and that. But I, I remember doing vineyard sampling and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, you're, there's a, a thing called bricks, which is a, uh, you know, the sugar content where we normally in New Zealand, if we get to 24, 25 bricks for Cabernet, it's like a great year, you know, and, and really ripe and this and that. 13 and 14 were like that here in Hawke's Bay. But I remember being in the vineyard and sampling at 26, 27 bricks and tasting it and going, it's not ready. It tastes almost a little green. Hmm. And so you're picking at 30 plus. Yeah. And you're adding water so that you don't make 17% or 16.5 wine. You have to. You've got no choice. And so people shake their heads like, why would they do that? And it's like, they don't have a choice to do Mm. that or otherwise. Well, I also found intriguing with the addition of water, though, and some tanks, well, on on all of them, they would would drop a certain amount of um, juice. Yeah. And so once they got their juice quota for the rosé that they had a market for, after they got their market share they um dropped the rosé to the to the floor so they were basically opening the tanks and juice was just pouring leases le- gallons and gallons of juice just Such to the floor shame. i felt like what, i felt like grabbing buckets and yeah. <laughs> well i did that the one the first year i worked in napa i grabbed kegs and i made a, my own rosé but then they did a pretty good thing at this place i worked at pina where they um they made balsamic from it. Uh-huh, okay, yeah, that's so not a bad idea. They you just chuck it in some tank in the, in the middle of a field somewhere and just forget yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they put it in the shed. But what they would do is boil it and reduce it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they obviously couldn't keep up with all the stuff that, but they would use as much as they could and reduce it down, and it would make this amazing uh, vinegar. And actually, the year I was there was the first year they got to their seventh year, which is officially when you can be called balsamic. Yeah, okay. Never actually tasted it out of the bottle, but I'm sure it's really good. But, uh, yeah, enough about California. So, what okay. else? Where, where, where else did you <laughs> go? <laughs> um, so, after that, where did I go after that? It's a good question. Um, spent a week in New Orleans straight after that. Oh, which was very that's enjoyable. Good, good plan. But, um, so, you were there, what year were you there? Before Katrina. So, yeah, before the flood. Five. Before the deluge. 2004. Yeah, I think about a year or two beforehand. I think. Yeah, I think 05 was, yeah, was okay. Katrina. Yeah, very close before, actually. So did you get up into the neighborhoods, or were you basically in the French uh, I, did, I, I, I Occasionally, I would um, get lost. And yeah. <laughs> you got to watch. You don't want to get too, too lost. But. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty obvious where the French quarter stopped and the rest of the city started. Um, mm. yeah. But that's kind of – that's unfortunately some of the parts that were lost – because uh, the quarter apparently was okay, uh, but when the levees broke, apparently some of those back neighborhoods, which were really the magical place of New Orleans, where you go, and it looked it'd be some, a place that looked like a house, and you'd walk in, and it was like the coolest blues, you know, bar. I don't even know if you call it a bar. It was like a house with they were serving drinks, <laughs> and there was a musician playing there, and those you know millions of those oh, places. Yeah laundromats with uh live music and stuff it's it a magical place well yeah <laughs> so you like you like new orleans you got to see a good part of america then yeah yeah we actually went with the old man um there's about 100 bars plus along um the quarter oh um plus, uh, bourbon street bourbon street there you yeah. go so we were in seventh heaven but um <laughs> so from there i went back 
to actually, yeah, that was from there. I went to probably don't remember. No, I do remember. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. We went to uh, went to Jamaica actually after that. Oh Jesus! I, I met my I met my um, my then girlfriend in Jamaica and um, uh, on the first of December, I think. Around, the, around about December. And Good we time to be in Jamaica. Yeah. yeah, and we spent about, um, flew into Kingston. Um, well, it was about at the Miami airport when I looked around everyone else at the airport and I was the sole white man amongst about mm. 50 Wait, but did you have dreads back then or something though? Uh, no, I'd, I'd already cut my dreads off at that point. <laughs> I, I wish I had kept my dreads. I, I stupidly got a, I actually got a haircut while I was in Jamaica. I got a number a number two, so like a... a buzz, basically. Yeah, a buzz cut. Um, so everywhere I went from that point forward, everyone was starting to sing. Um, bald head, crazy bald yeah. head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you got it right. Which is somewhat embarrassing. Yeah, that's all right. But um, yeah, Jamaica, Cuba, three weeks, and then flew back around the world to. You just spent about a few hours in New Zealand. My mate picked me up at the airport and then dropped me back at the airport and then I went to Sydney and then I went up to the Hunter Valley where I had my next vintage. Ah. Um, so I organised my... Semion, that's Semion country. Organised my Hunter Valley vintage in California um, and I was at McQuiggan's. Oh, sure. And I, that's I can, crazy. I can safely say that was the worst six weeks of my life. We used to, uh, at my family's bar in Philly, we were like caning it uh, back... In, uh, with McGuigan Shiraz. I mean, this is like 1999 or something like that, 19, 2000. And uh, that was like the Shiraz boom at the time, in America at least. And uh, it's all obviously all since changed. And yeah. it's, uh, but I just distinctly remember it being like, oh, this is pretty good wines. And then at some point, I don't know if they just started, couldn't keep up with demand, and then we just started getting a lesser label from them or something. But was yeah. it w- was it just too big the place? You um, it was a number of factors which which, which made it a bad, a bad time for myself. Um, the winery itself it was the last year they were using the facility, so and they had known that for quite a few years, so they hadn't done any work on it for you know about a, I don't know about five or ten years. Mm. They would have been pretty expanding pretty big. Though. Yeah. And it was an antiquated old piece of shit winery. Um, they had the cooling uh, above you, about, I don't know, five metres above you. They had all these pipes of, of glycol and the massive blocks. Like about a minute wouldn't go by without a massive block of ice falling off the cooling and <laughs> smashing on the ground. We should have been wearing hard hats, man. People got hit by the ice, so. Um, How'd you find the hunter overall, though? Uh, I've quite it's a, got a mixed reputation, huh? Yeah, I found it a horrible place. I can't believe they can even go grow grapes there, to be honest. Is um, it just rainy? And seems the only reason they are there at all is because Sydney's so nearby. It's only a couple of hours um, yeah. drive to Sydney. Um, I guess, I mean, that's pretty harsh, but the weather, the weather when I was there, it was like lightning storms night after night like a, a second wouldn't go by without seeing three flashes of lightning the storms like i've never seen before mm. and like 50 mils a day for for a week and all this kind of jazz it was it was nuts um and the, the, they had a um at the crusher they had a big tank of tartaric acid which they basically just turned on as they bought the fruit in um the, <laughs> the first guy i met when i walked into the winery i was like oh hey mate what, what do you think of the wines here mate are they any good He's like, 
fuck, I don't fucking drink this shit, mate. <laughs> I'll just fucking make it. I'll drink fucking beer. I was like, Jesus. Okay, this, this is what I'm in for for the next Bit of a weeks. change from Tiawa. <laughs> yeah, they could have been making baked beans for all they cared. No one gave a shit about anything. Um, or about wine, anyway. Um, I was living in a, above the winemakers. Uh, he had a big, big, uh, big shed there. And I was living in the loft of the shed with about five other interns. Um, and I was on the night shift as well, so... Yeah, you can like imagine a 40 degree days in the top of the shed, so getting fuck all sleep there, really. And um, biking half an hour to work and back. And I just after being quite jet lagged coming from the other side of the world, I just threw me in. I, I, before I left Jamaica, I had this tiny little cold sore on the side oh, of my mouth. Shit. By the time I spent about a week in the winery, you can imagine like doing taste off and splashing juice into your face and shit. Acid into the. Uh... Acid, acid. That was yeah, nasty. And it just blew up. It was like a. 50 cent piece so you were like, <laughs> like yeah. this just took over my face and so I was like walking around the wine and head down with this big monster thing on my face so it didn't clear up until I left Hunter Valley eh? it was yeah it wasn't a very nice experience uh, well. and then uh, what so was from there I did two, two vintages back to back I spent um, yeah, six weeks in the Hunter I really I was pretty happy when I was on the bus going out of the Hunter I was actually considering there was one point where I thought I'll just walk out the door and just keep going mm. but I, I I did my six weeks didn't which I um, yeah you're better off to just finish yeah. you never know uh, the thing is I don't even think they would have given a shit had I left after a week or two yeah. to be honest they were like where's Bryce I don't know who cares yeah um, I'll just get someone else in but um, I ended up going straight back to Tiawa so they were just about to get into full flight at Tiawa yeah, I um, would have got back about the yeah, middle of March, I guess, starting to get into the Sauvignon Blanc. So that would have been my third vintage at Tiawa. I hit the ground running there. I was really yeah, you knew you were. I knew my way around the cellar and yeah, excited to be back. And um, my my cold sore cleared up nicely after a week <laughs> or so, which was an added bonus. But um, so yeah, another harvest with Tiawa. That was number three. That would have been oh five, I think. And then, what did I do? Um, I travelled to the Czech Republic. Uh, spent Christmas and New Year's... No, I didn't. I, sorry, no, I spent the summer in the Czech Republic, actually. And then, that sounds better. Um, <laughs> and then went, I organised a, a vintage in, um, in Bordeaux, where I worked at uh, Chateau Bonnet. Um, it was a reasonably large winery. Like you're talking, uh, I think it was a million bottles of white and a million bottles of red or something of that order. Um, and uh, I can't pronounce this right. My French is pretty shocking. Entre de Mer appellation of, um, oh, okay. of Bordeaux. Yeah. Um, so we were doing some pretty interesting stuff. It was basically an Australian model winery in, in the middle of France. So big machines, big presses, big pumps and... Things like thermovinification. Um, yeah, but I mean, I know there's some old school, you know, Bordeaux chateaus and things like that. Yeah, it's and, not and Burgundy. Uh, yeah, Bordeaux and Burgundy are two completely different. Yeah, places. I think Bordeaux's pretty can be pretty big business, and I mean, as you know, uh, there's something misleading. There's like there's something misleading about French production, particularly, and I think if even if you talked, I've talked to Italians about this too, is that they're kind of they lead. In as far as a lot of things with state of the art, sometimes now there's some chateau things you can't get out of, and uh, there's obviously vineyard restrictions and things like that. But as far as like technique and technology and technology and stuff, they're always like pushing it, and you know they're trialing things there. That oh, there's some interesting stuff there. Yeah, they're they're the ones that that really push it, and yeah. I think that's uh, a bit of a misnomer and about 
you know, the world of wine is that, oh, you know, it's just this French chateau and they have this underground cellar and they do everything old school. It's like it's great it, for the French though. They have this, it is. They no, have this image across the world of yeah, this, you know, magical place where every yeah. winery is at I think it's probably true of Southern Italy and yeah, places perhaps. like that. And, and maybe more Burgundy and places, you know, but, uh, but that, then again, yeah, a lot of equipment we see, there's great Italian equipment out there, you know, and they, they, they lead in, in other ways as well. So, uh, maybe it's Spain. I don't know. But then you hear about these massive productions in Spain too. Um, so, uh, but you enjoyed France? Uh, yeah, I had a great time with France. Um, really enjoyed it. So I was there for three months as well. Um, so you were able to not have to speak much French? Yeah, it was kind of funny. Well, the, um, the winemaker I thought didn't speak English for about the first two months, he didn't speak a word of English to me. And about yeah, two months in, one day he just answered the question, or he spoke to me fluent English, and I just thought, "You bastard!" <laughs> and he had a, a wry grin on his face. Eh? He was, he thought he was pretty, he was pretty, pretty happy with himself. Yeah. But um, yeah, really nice company to work for. I was with the not not sure if you've heard of the Luton family. Mm. Um, no. They've got the, they own wineries all over the world, like Argentina and Chile, Chile and. Um, Spain and, and, and Bordeaux and Le Tour Le Ton Le Ton okay. L-U-R-T-O-N um, Jacques and Francois um, and that was actually their old man's uh, chateau that we were mm. we were working at he had a tank collection and I'm not talking about winery tanks he had like an army tank collection oh a tank of <laughs> army t- yeah. why we were, th- we were just easing out the front of the winery and one day and this massive truck pulled up and on the back of the truck there's this big fuck off tank. <laughs> <laughs> we asked the winemaker, what, why is this tank here? What's going on, you know? Yeah, like, are we oh, being invaded? It's just one of the boss's uh, many, many tanks that he collects. <laughs> what the hell? What's happening here? But um, have, So his old man, was it something his old man started or something? Oh, like I don't World know. World War II? I'm not, something? I, I really, oh, yeah, That's crazy. I have no idea. Never, That's a weird habit. Never really got to the bottom of that. It's like I collect helicopters, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, the guy, he, I think he, um, I actually forget the name of the village, but he, he basically owned the whole village. And most of the workers were, were Portuguese and they all lived in the houses that he owned and paid him rent. So it was oh, like Jesus. his own little, yeah, his own little uh, community that he just, it was like the king of the indentured servitude and mm, stuff. Yeah. It was, it was quite bizarre. <laughs> yeah. You'll run into that in certain parts of the world. You know? Yeah. A lot of parts of the world, actually. But the, lots of expats, lots of, um, Australians and New Zealanders and, um, around the area so we all found each other and got together regularly and tried lots of different wines from different, different places and learned a lot there I really enjoyed myself in, in Bordeaux um, that would have been yeah that was 2005 so really good harvest in Bordeaux one of the best they've had for the last 10 years I believe yep. um, from there I think I stopped travelling for a while from after that um, of, that was 05 so I did a couple of vintages back to back at Tiawa from then on so it would have been 06 and 07 um, I think by the time I got to 07, um, Jenny decided that it was time for uh, for me to step up. And so I was assistant winemaker in 2007, along with Hayden. We were both working there. A good friend of mine, Hayden, had just finished his course at EIT. And um, he had, we'd worked at Vintage together at Tiawa. And um, the following year, we were both like joint assistant winemaker, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, no, put give yourself some responsibility. Yeah. It was about around that point, I think, yeah, Hayden had just come out of doing a double degree in viticulture and, and winemaking at EIT, 
Um, I was yet to do any serious um, yards in, in, in terms of study for winemaking. I'd done the certificate, but that was more about digging holes and driving tractors. And, um, yeah, yeah. It was it's pretty basic. Real, real practical. Practical thing. course, yeah. Um, so when people talk to me about pH and why and how and whatnot, I was kind of just glazed over, <laughs> um, which made me want to learn more, I guess. I was at a point where I wanted to learn more. And uh, I remember our boss, Jenny, went away for a while. I think, I think she was on a sales trip in the US or somewhere anyway. Mm. And Hayden and I were left in charge of the winery and we had some Sauvignon Blanc in tank. And he was really worried about the Sauvignon Blanc because um, looking back on it, it must have been going through Malo and he was really concerned about that. And at the time, I was like, who cares, man? It's sweet as. Don't worry about that, man. Yeah. It'll be fine. He's like, nah, man. We need to. We need to get on this. This is. This is not good, eh? Yeah. I look back on that, and, th- and it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone was onto it, because. Yeah. Um, but I, I, and I, I guess at the same time, I thought, you know, I need to learn this. I need to know about why this is not good. You know. Yeah, you were kind of just. At that time, I was just doing, doing the work, doing, doing the, the jobs, enjoyed the seller work, but and, and new new bits and pieces. But um, I really at that point realized oh, I need to do some more study if I want to take this any further. Well, I think it's really hard. You know, on the one hand, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, even early 20s, I certainly would not have been ready to, I may have been ready to do the academic part of it, the, you know, the scientific part of it, but I certainly wouldn't have been ready to appreciate the, I think I was mature enough maybe to, you know, be in charge of at least a few people or something, but I, but how do you, you don't you haven't tasted enough wine yet at that point of your life or experienced enough life to know like okay this is what we need to you know this is a real situation this Hmm. is a problem or even just like this is the style of wine we make because we make it this way like your head is up your ass when you're 24 years old or something you wouldn't even know but i mean that doesn't say that a problem pops up but i just was found it crazy like when i went to eit and there was these degree students that coming right out of school and they're like you're going to study winemaking now for three years and you don't even know like you put this investment into your life and it's like and honestly i don't there is a few that are actually still in it but you know we just had so many drop off right away within the first six months and then half of that's because they don't want to or can't seem to do the chemistry yeah the other half they do a vintage and they think this is hard work yeah 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 there's there's, (laughs) i think it's a little both yeah Yeah, yeah. definitely there's there was and i I absolutely saw that was there people like i just can't do you know do the chemistry and then some people yeah i mean i remember there was this one girl walked into the lab in high heels and we were like she ain't gonna last (laughs) she'll be done she didn't last like another two weeks or something you know I think it was one of those when I was there doing the horticulture course, and you watched her try to like plant pumpkins in their high heels, like sinking into the dirt. Yeah, it's pretty entertaining. Um, oh, that's good. It uh, needs to be. I think with both the Lincoln course and the EIT course, that you almost need to have a um, what do you call it when you have like an order mechanic or a. Uh, builders, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The certificate, apprenticeship, apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, apprenticeship. that's kind of what that school is set up to do. What I, why I went there, and uh, I don't know how. You know, hope, uh, you know, I'm sure immigration isn't listening to this podcast, but <laughs> I was working as much as I could while I was there, even though I was only supposed to work a little bit. I think it was more geared towards students or people trying to come in and just work and not go to school i was certainly going to school all the time going to every class i could but that was the beauty of it they pretty much said like 
if you looked at the course schedule, you could work vintage every year of that course. Like they, they went heavy in the off, you know, in yeah. September, October, November, even August was like pretty heavy in the course load. Whereas like, you're like, well, we, we seem to, nobody seems to be coming to class in March and April. Like, and I noticed that in my first year there when I, I actually worked at Tiawa like part time, three quarter time, maybe, um, whenever I could. And then the next two years, I was just like, well, I'm just going to work full time vintage. Like, you, because nobody goes to class anyway, mm-hmm. and the teachers don't expect you to. They expect you yeah. to be out working. So uh, that's good for that setup because it was always the joke when I went, uh, even down here, but when in California, that like Davis students were like, they don't know how to work a pump. <laughs> <laughs> they know everything about the analytical. Uh, part of you know why a tannin and anthocyanin structure would be a certain way, but they're like, listen. I mean, we I had a firsthand experience with a uh, a girl who was a microbiologist who was smart. She knew ton, but tons about wine and everything, and we had to run to class. Um, uh, this was Chris Reed, and we had to run to class. Me and him were like, all right, just can you look after the the pump or the press. We'll, we'll be back in like two hours, and she's like, I can't. No, I don't. I can't do it. We're like, what do you mean? You just hit the off button. And <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're like, you're a microbiologist. You were, you were working at, like, she was working at another big winery. And, uh, in fact, you might know that, remember the person, I won't divulge any names now, but we were just in shock. Like, wait a minute, you have a degree from this <laughs> great, all-time great school for winemaking, and that's not necessarily the way it works. But, uh, anyway, so you were, uh, she actually worked at, sacred hill at the time so you ended up there eventually after the what the shit hit the fan at tiawa and things started changing there um or did yeah. you travel again and no then... well that was so seven so as i was saying before i decided i need to learn some more um i, I guess well in retrospect it's easy to say this but I, maybe i knew the writing was on the wall at tiawa to a point i don't know but yeah I, you I, felt I, like it was time to shake it well, up a bit. i just i just personally i needed to do um some more study um because I needed to learn more. Yeah. Um, I wanted to learn more. So I enrolled in the in the graduate diploma in viticulture and enology at Lincoln University for 2008. Um, so moved down there. I didn't know that, actually. I didn't no, know no. you were down there. Yeah. No, I had an awesome time down there. I really enjoyed it. Lived in Christchurch and traveled into Lincoln daily, and I put my head down. Where's Lincoln, exactly? It's about a f- 20-minute f- drive from Christchurch yeah. uh, south. Um had a really good um oh, you know, like you know Glenn Creasy and Kirsten Creasy um nah. yeah, there are a couple that worked down there that were they're really uh, inspirational yeah good great oh, oh no I have heard of them yeah mm. yeah then the couple yep no I totally have heard of them yeah should get them on the podcast should do yeah 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 I think one day I'll I'll uh, make enough money where I can just travel around and do podcasts and talk to people and just geek out about wine <laughs> <laughs> which I love to do but um yeah, I just never – the only thing about Lincoln that I, I didn't – you know, it didn't appeal to me from somebody who was looking for overseas, which, you know, looked like a great academic degree and a course and everything, but it just is in a random part of the country yeah. as far as I was concerned. Well, know? Wiper is an up-and-coming um, area. No, there's some good wines but there. Wiper but Wiper is still – you know, that, that's – It's like – it's so bigger and spread out and 
It's yeah. not like this concept. It used to be the only place where you could do a wine course. I know back yeah. when my brother's about my brother's about seven years older than me. Um, no, I mean if you talk to all the older winemakers, yeah. even in he, did, he had to do a degree in horticulture, and then his last year was in majoring in winemaking or something like that. Yeah, um, majoring in enology. And it wasn't until recently when when they you know, changed it to viticulture. Oh yeah, a winemaking degree as such, or yeah. an enology degree, or whatever they want to call it. But um, because they realize they can get suckers from overseas to apply yeah, for maybe. it. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed in the viticulture side of things down there, to be honest, but the winemaker things were, were top-notch. And I just put my head down. Eh? I'd, you know, B's and C's for my management and marketing degree, but straight A's for my um, yeah. winemaking degree because I knew what I wanted to do. I was the annoying adult student at the front of the class. Sure, sure. And uh, the whole time asking questions, people were saying, shut up, shut up. I was like, you shut up. <laughs> I'm paying for this, man. You can yeah, piss yeah, off, mate. Yeah, yeah, you're a totally different you can, student. Can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can leave if you don't want to be here. Piss off. Yeah, I was pretty much the same. And I left it up, and I was asking question after question after question, and yeah, really put my head down after class, and really enjoyed it. I had a great year down there. Yeah, but a year was enough, definitely. A year was adequate, but it was a pretty intensive course. Um, yep, did what I needed to do, and then got out, and then so that was led me to. Well, that was oh eight. The disappointing thing about the timing of all that was that was the start of the economic, um, the global economic crisis. Mm. So. Um, jobs became a wee bit more scarce than they were. What was historically a reasonably dynamic job market within the winemaking industry in New Zealand became extremely stagnant. Um, We're still going through it. It's, it's really, we are still going through it. Yeah, uh, if you keep your eye on wine, jobs online, which I think most uh, people, pe- everyone that's not a winemaker, um, all the seller hands and all the assistant winemakers in the country. Probably plenty of they probably check that. They probably check that site out as much as they check out their Facebook uh, account. <laughs> um, yeah. So I ended up working at Vintage at Cellini in 2009, as soon as I was out of um, Lincoln. Um, I only worked there for about five weeks as night shift supervisor. Um, the night shift stopped, and so I stopped. Um, I was done there by about Easter, but that gave me an opportunity to make a couple of. Uh, barrels of wine from our vineyard at home. I made them in the back shed and ended up making a barrel of uh, straight Malbec and a barrel of <coughs> Merlot Franc. Um, Did you swallow a fly? I think I just swallowed a bug, yeah. <laughs> one of the downsides of doing a podcast outside. Yeah, yeah circling yeah. around my glass of wine as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might have to call an intermission at this point, actually. Yeah, yeah, let's do a pause real quick and then we'll uh, we can uh, wrap things up. Yeah, well, it's a good thing we paused because um, the noises you just made weren't very good. <laughs> but yeah, bundling up a bit. Dude, I just had a look here. This is uh, it's very nice. Very nice New Zealand scene here, you know, out on the vineyard, sun setting. A bit of Pinot Noir in our glasses here. It's uh, it's not bad, buddy. That's what all about, Dan. Thanks, thanks for having me over, you know. All, Easy pace here, you know. <laughs> Lead up like a three-hour podcast, I think. Eh? Oh, it won't be uh, <laughs> won't be too long, and we'll be on the top end of it. But uh, I think people that do listen to this podcast will probably uh, have some time on their hands. Yeah. I know the podcast that I listen to. I listen to podcasts all the time. And I need to get on to that though. Actually, I'm like so I'm out in the vineyard doing a lot of you know shoot thinning and leaf plucking and whatnot um it's good to have those podcasts i got a million for you buddy i got some the ted talks but Te- yeah there's they so can many get ted talks i can handle that's a bit of a cult too the whole ted talk. i listen to some of them too but when i see something interesting i like but there's definitely uh some comedians who are really good at it 
and uh, to plug a few other good podcasts out there. Uh, Joe Rogan's one of the most popular ones on iTunes. You'll always see him. Uh, I listen to Bill Burr's podcast. He's a hilarious comedian from Boston who's out in L.A. now. And he's his podcast is cool. It's basically just him by himself just ranting for like an hour every Monday morning. He calls it the Monday Morning Podcast. Okay. And that's a great one. So for other winemakers out there listening right now, this is just my suggestions. They're real uh, winemaking-centric. No, no not okay. at all. These are just comedy. Uh, Bill Burr's is just him kind of ranting about him touring and what's going on in the world and what's going on in the news. Joe Rogan's, he's a comedian and he's been an actor and stuff and he does a lot of stand-up comedy, but he's also a uh, MMA color commentator because he has, when he was a kid, he was like a um, taekwondo champion or something. So really random, but he's actually like a big stoner and he talks about mind expansion and he has like a lot of scientific guys on too. That's where I really geek out with it too. I kind of... I don't get as into the MMA stuff. Uh, some of the comedians I really like, but really what I like is when he, he'll have like a paleontologist on and talk about, you know, early man or he'll, he's, he's got some really cool scientists on and nature guys and he has some hunting guys on that are really cool. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I, I really run away with and listen to. And then I listen to Ron and Fez every day and they're kind of, they're more comedy centric now, but overall they've been like cultural as well they've had a lot of movie uh some actors but more like writers directors um musicians uh like i was just listening to little steven from uh the bruce uh, e street band bruce springsteen which i'm you know an okay bruce springsteen fan i'm not a big fan or anything but he was he used to be in the soprano so he's like a big actor and now he's got his own show called lily hammer and i listen to i'm like oh i want to check out that show now because he's produces his own show on that and he does all the music for it so there's tons of i got plenty for you there's, there's millions of shows <laughs> yeah yeah and it's all all you gotta do it you single... can yeah you could literally go on to itunes and just yeah. like what do i want to i'm there to get up with marketing and branding and mm. You know, well, let's fast forward to that and, then. And what what do you, you got? You got your new label coming out. It's Azaria is the name. Azaria is the name. Now, the thing with the wine labels I've thought of so far, I uh, didn't get to tr- trademarking them early enough. And other people decided that they, well, other people, not sure whether they thought it up themselves or whether they found my bottle of wine and thought, hmm, that looks like a good idea. I'll see if he's trademarked it. And then. Well, I would I say with been. alchemy, that's a pretty obvious one. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. I, I think, think so. that would have been. Yeah. I have, that, my, that I have been my doubts because I know the guy that, oh, I'm not going to get into it. Either. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right now. There's a but wee I, bit, I of, a wee thought, bit of bitterness and anger. I would have thought that would have been one that somebody would have. Yeah. I mean, it has, I mean, people, I know there are alchemy brands outside of New Zealand already. Um, but I just know there was a connection there somehow through the current Chardonnay producer that produces alchemy Chardonnay. Out of New Zealand. Out of Hawke's Bay. Oh, okay. My old boss's neighbor. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's we're, very possible. We won't go any further. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, um, so there was Alchemy. So that's basically the wine that I've been making since 2006. So 06, 07, 08, 09, 010, and 011. Um, they're all under the Alchemy brand. And my brother and I made up a label. And we every year we'd, I'd get them him and some of our friends around. And we'd... Um, bottle the wine put um wax up i uh, would cork the wine and then wax up the top and and put the labels on and that was quite a good good family time good you know 
GP is being drunk and always a good weekend. But um, <laughs> so the next, so basically, yeah, those. So wait, you've had another label to besides uh, Alchemy. Well, we had Alchemy was the blend, and we were going to have Element as the single varietal. Uh, okay. But we only ever ended up making a Element Malbec in two thousand and nine, which is one hundred percent Malbec. And we made an element um, Cabernet Franc in 2000. What about Element? Has that been trademarked by somebody? Yeah, it has, yeah. Uh, Do you know Dominic works at Sacred Hill, owns the, there's a block on Mary Road, um, there used to be Dark Horse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So he owns that property. And um, I asked him one day, he came into Roosters. um, You were like, what do you think of this name? And no, I said to him, so what's the name of your brand, man? He's like, Element. And I looked at him like he was fucking taking the piss. I thought, <laughs> what do you, what, you, you're taking my brand, man. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, he had no idea what I was talking about. He, yeah. Oh, oh, well, that's pretty close. One day I'll take my bottle of 2009 Malbec and just say, this is what I did have. I, I know you didn't steal it, but I'm just saying. I wouldn't be surprised if that's not a brand somewhere else in the world. Yeah, well, we actually thought it was um, trademarked already. My brother reckons he checked it on the trademarks website and he reckoned that Sealax already had it. Um, and I told this to um, hmm. to Dom, but he was like, "No, I'm pretty sure we've got it, man. We yeah, we didn't see any hmm. anyone else own it." So a good lesson learned: if you think of a good brand, then you, you go and trademark that straight away. Which I did with my current brand, which um in 2010 it must have been. Um, I did a bit of a senye on my Merlot, so I ran off some juice and made about 30 liters of rosé. Um, and I ended up calling that Zaria. So it had a similar label to my alchemy label and element label. I just called it Zaria. It was like a gift to my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, two or three cases of rosé. I think I still have a bottle somewhere out there. So that Zaria name just stuck with me. I thought, oh, that's, you know, Zaria is the goddess of beauty in ancient Slavic mythology. Um, well, to be honest, from somebody. I think there's for somebody outside the whole thing. I think is a reason why it stuck with you. You know that that that's actually probably. I know it's a little bit of a stranger word, but it's easier to remember and more like once it sticks because of the Z. Well, that's and it. That's and what it's I thought actually, about. It's, it's like a strange. Was that was Z yeah, stick yeah. in the mind? You yeah, know? It's but easy it's easy to say as well. It's, it's not easy like to say. Gatarawa, which is yeah, yeah. I don't even know how that managed to not be branded. There's enough New Zealand brands that you're like, how do you even say that? Well, exactly. And uh, and some of it isn't even just the old Maori words. Some of it are like German words. And yep. I mean, we're drinking Yalens right now. You know, yeah. one of their uh, Pinots, and even that is. You know, it's a, they're doing really well, and it's a great brand, so I don't take it. I mean, what the hell do I know? But it's like, people are like, is that Yeelands or, or Yeelands? Or or yeah. yeah, what? you know, there's so there's no doubt what Zarya is. Tiawa, Timata, Tiawonga, which is what, you know? But but they're they're all at least easy to say. Yeah, yeah. People get mixed up. People come in and, yeah, people... Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of te-somethings. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a strong word, and that's mm. a great place to start. And that's that's really. Well, I was racking my brain. What's a good name? What's a good name? What's a good name? And I thought girls' names are quite. I don't know. I thought there was a. Yeah, there is something like uh, feminine about it too, which is cool. And the wines. You want to sell to the chicks, dude? Well, I read somewhere. <laughs> I think I went to a Brigado conference one year, and uh, an American marketing dude got up and was. He basically said that eighty percent of the wine bought in the U.S. is bought by women. Mm. 
80%. I believe that, yeah. Uh, just looking at who I sell decibel to and who, when I talk to people and they're like, oh, I love your wine. It's mostly women that are like, I, uh, you know, or at least they have the biggest influence on the on the purchase as well. Uh, I'm not just trying to target women, though. I mean, no, I but there's, it's, there's something it's, inherently feminine about the wines that I make. They're not, they're from a, a, a block, they're from the Bridge Power Triangle, and there's very little tenon and mm. they're all very um i think triangle is soft limited structure you. i guess but really soft and really approachable uh, they're not thin wines they've still got weight and depth but they haven't got the structural elements that lots of the gravels wines do and i don't I'm, I'm, i've talked to my i work for a company beach house wines where um most of a lot of their vineyards are on the gravels um and I was talking to my boss recently who he was saying that the, at a recent Gimlet Gravels get-together, they were talking about how people actually want more feminine wines and that the the, the, the Gravels should actually focus on trying to make their wines less structural and less you know, well, massive and tannic and just try and... Something really angular about that. Yeah. You know, and it's obviously all comes from the soil. And, you know, the... The, the uh, triangle soils are uh, free draining still, and they're a bit sandy and loamy. There's and a lot higher like. water holding capacity. We could get yeah. away with not irrigating. Definitely, a lot of years. Um, but you couldn't do that in the gravels. And it's a longer season. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a better season. You know, I've talked to people. You know, it just depends on you know how the vineyards kept and the timings and all that kind of stuff. But you certainly can get everything ripe here. You need to, so that's not the issue. It's just a different style, and it's just that I think the gravels is just so crazy what it is. It's hydroponic wine growing it basically. Is. That when you look over here to the triangle or where we're sitting right now, is uh, it's it's maybe just not as quite unique, but it's but it's actually maybe really good and more approachable and. I think for the general public, it's more approachable. I mean, for wine nerds like you and me and, um, I don't know, the sommeliers. And yeah, and the wine writers that come through. And, I mean, for, 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 for wines with longevity and But, I mean, let's, let's get right into it. There's, you know, something that we've talked about a lot uh, with our little group. We were, you know, jokingly called the New Guard, and now... It's been. I want to talk about the new guy. After we talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about that. In, in what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if you look at the Giblet Gravels, actually, what's left out there as far as you know, Tiao was owned by Villa Maria. Trinity Hill is a great producer, and they they are what they are. Uh, the Beach House is a nice small producer. Stonecroft is a small producer. Unison's a small. Pro- Besides that, there's it's all big producers out there now, and it's all. There's how many cellar doors and how many kind of little places. All those places that made the Giblet Gravels, you know, sort of what it was and what it, that big buildup was from the 90s and early 2000s, you know, are gone. Hmm. You know, they've all been bought up by delegates in Villa Maria and Matariki's gone. Matariki and Sacred Hill. And, but none of them, there's, the wineries aren't actually there. Craggy Range, sorry, I'm missing out on a big one, which is Craggy Range, and they've, they've done good things and they make great wines but they're a pretty big brand in the grand scheme of hawks bay th- mm-hmm. things and they I, I have a lot of respect for craggy range because they make good wines every year and they do great varietal expressions of everything but as far as being this like special little 
place that it used to be, it's not. You know, it's they might kinda, be going back to a more special place. I think they might have bitten off more than they can chew. For I think so. I, I, I mean, in the recent couple of years where they've maybe decided to step back a wee bit and you know focus on what they're good at and yeah. maybe sell a little bit in bulk and maybe downsize a wee bit. You know, they've sold off their bottling line. Or Craggy, you're talking. Craggy, about. I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so. I think they're gonna focus on uh, what they should do which is premium production and yeah and but it's a tough tough market you know yeah well they got if anybody was yeah if anybody was hit by um you know the premium you know I, when i first got to hawks bay i looked at it and to me it was craggy range and tiawa actually mm. were the two coolest places i looked at and possibly trinity yes valley uh, yeah, but in a way different way, and they're kind of you know I'm good friends with Gordon now, and and I I love the wines up there, but in a really different way. Again, they have vineyards all over, and mm-hmm. and it wasn't I wasn't didn't sort of identify them the way I identified <laughs> the other places with the with the place that where it was from, you know. Even though Esk has the terraces and that, I don't know, I could be talking about ass, but yeah, it's kind of interesting time in Hawks Bay because I've been thinking about it as related to the New Guard and what we you know what we call it and we've talked about it there's sort of i look at the old sort of you know the missions and even like peter at brookfields these guys who were like trailblazers 20 30 40 years ago that really made hawks bay and then and i know hawks bay is the oldest mine producing area in new zealand but they those are the guys who like really paved the way and set up um you know i'm probably forgetting a few other uh you know some of the great old chris pask and guys like that they're like the kind of legends and alan limmer at stonecroft and these guys who sort of blaze a trail and then there's this like second wave that almost carried that on and those are the guys right now that are like in their 40s and 50s oh the selenies and the abbeys yeah yeah and And sacred hill and you know sacred hill's blown up in size in recent years and uh um you know Clearview, 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 you know, but I don't even want to put them in a certain category because they still make so many cool small batches and everything, and they try different things. Um, And I think what I like about our group is that we're now saying, okay, yeah, obviously Hawks Bay does awesome Chardonnay. We do, you know, there's a this Syrah thing that nobody's quite figured out yet, but it's really expensive to try to get Syrah fruit, or you know, there's only so much of it grown here. There's uh, lots of Merlot out there. And there's some big producers doing that, but we're, uh, you know, we're interested in trying different things and, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's Cab Franc or White Blends or, you know, Guillaume's doing Semillon or, you know, we're, we're you're Chenin Blanc or we're bringing Pinot. Orange and, wines. Yeah, orange oh. wine. You know, there's, we're, we're at a different thing now where we're trying to push the element and, and say, yeah, well, there's actually a lot of different things we can do here and there's kind of this conservative element of that a massive conservative yeah, element yeah. In <laughs> very very conservative and one way you can measure that i guess is you, you look at the number of organic vineyards and wineries in hawks bay compared to the rest of the country like nelson and blenheim and um, yeah it's frustrating and wiper even like we've got i think we've got maybe two or three organic vineyards yeah i don't understand why you, you do understand why, though. Well, I understand why, but I, I, there's there's no reason why. It's just because there's conservative and there's old farm well, exactly. mentality here. There's old orchards, which are turned to old vineyards, which and they've still got that old school mentality. And that's that's frustrating, you know. And if you don't think that relates to, 
the idea that, you know, this is a special place and there's a certain movement here and then that doesn't affect how much young people come here, how much uh, tourism comes here, how much everybody thinks, well, what's going on in Hawke's Bay is cool and interesting and all that. Um, and what's weird about it is there's, it's kind of going on in other industries around here a little bit. It's starting to happen in other farming around here, but not as much, I guess. I don't know. Not as much as the rest of the country. It's weird. I mean, you spent more time here than I have. Why do you think that is? Just that old farming mentality that's always been uh, here? Yeah, I guess so. I was, just trying to th- I was trying to think about the answer to that before we answer the question. Um, before we ask the question. but um, Because you have a guy like James Milton who said, if I can do biodynamic wine growing in Gisborne, Gisborne yeah. you should certainly be able to do it in Hawke's Bay. Well, well, Any time you mention the word biodynamics, people just start saying you're dancing around the moon and... Yeah, but I mean, honestly, la- if you don't have it, that that attitude right there is the wrong attitude to have and to say, you know, in the same way that if you're biodynamic to yeah. say, well, this is the only way to do things like, no, that works for me and that's cool. But certainly organic, I guess know? financially, it's really difficult to do these interesting small things. And I guess at the end of the day, you need to sell the wine and uh, yeah, but that would sell the wine. Would it though? Does it? You know, yeah, um, it definitely. Do. I mean, it's really? working for for people in other places, you know. But it's not and then, because people won't. Well, the thing is, people won't buy it here. People are not prepared to pay. A yeah, but if you're looking to really do anything wines. here, you would export, wouldn't you? Well, I guess so. But exporting as a small as a small winery is, you know, you got to travel to these. Oh, you're talking about small winery, but I'm saying there's a lot of big production. I think there's a few here. big wineries that are giving organics a go, and um, I know Constellation for one gave it a nudge for a wee while, and they just. At the end of the day, decided that it was producing it's less fruit per hectare than it wasn't, you know. Of course it is. <laughs> bottom, bottom dollar, it wasn't what they were after. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure where Vitals or Villa Maria sits on their organic um, They've They've got some, yeah, some, uh, a range, I would say. Well, even the that. natural wine movement or just anything a little bit different, it's just, it just seems non-existent in Hawke's Bay at the moment, eh? Mm. And um, I guess that's what we want to get to with the new guard the new guard you explain what the new guard is to the punters out there um damn while i go and get another bottle of wine yeah uh well basically i think hopefully it doesn't take too long oh he's running into a shed to get some wines but basically that was the idea was a build out of frustration that um you know we we see these old techniques and we see i I honestly say i don't want to disrespect any of the sort of old guard, but it's more of the guys in the middle that aren't trying anything new that are just kind of taking their job and saying, you know, yeah, let's just keep making this style that's worked okay for Hawks Bay as opposed to pushing some boundaries and trying some new things and just shaking it up a bit. I mean, it's to me, I mean, it's probably different for everybody. To me, it was about, you know, making a bit of noise a little bit and just sh- shaking the, the, uh, the, you know, the walls a little bit and, and, it's spawned out of conversations I've had with you and with Hayden and with Jules and with all the Pete and Guillaume and Pierre and all, all these people that are, um, that are a part of it, uh, and, and trying some new things, you know, and just saying, Hey, well, we're, we're the new guard kind of came out of a joke and that we said, well, the old guard's a bit of a closed shop, you yeah. know, <laughs> the new guard, I think we need to take it a step further and start to make the new guard, a brand and, and, uh, make a website called the new guard and everyone that's under the new guard for example you've got decibel wines and jules has got collaboration and 
everyone can bring their brands to this website or this entity and it becomes like the um in new zealand they've got the doesn't the, the, the top oh, the, yeah, the, 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 uh, the family of 12. Family of 12, and that's where you've got lights of Milton and Felton Road and yep. and whatnot. And I think that's quite successful for them. But it's just something in Hawke's Bay that's a bit different. And you'll get lots of different wines and different takes in, on wine and wines with character, I yep. guess. Um, yeah, there's certainly uh, a tre- uh, some kind of line that connects connects us all. And we're, I think at this stage, everybody's at like a different stage of their their business or their uh, their vision and all that. So, what do you got going on there? You're uh, you're, you're, you're like cap. using a screw cap. Screw cap issue, which I've oh, is this what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is it not coming unscrewed? No. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you're uh, being angry. I might just stab it. <laughs> so, oh, because it's not like under pressure or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened with. Oh, that's like a. It's like one of those. Uh, what are those new things that you pierce the top of the bottle with? And anyway, yeah, I think that's uh, what what it's about. And all right, we avoided injury, and uh, Bryce didn't slice his finger off while trying to get that bottle open. But um, so you were saying, yeah, you think we should kind of bind together and uh, create a website and uh, possibly in the future I think that's a, uh, yeah. an opportunity uh, there for us yeah I think that sort of um, there used to be the small boutique winemakers club and um, Beach House and Unison and a few other wineries are they not doing that anymore kind of really it's basically um, dissolved dissolved yeah I think they're all a bit uh, caught up in their own thing or something yeah I think so it wasn't really working for everyone hmm um, yeah, you really got to meet and hash it out and have some common goals. And Yeah, I'm not, I think everyone's got their own agendas, I guess, and it seemed like a waste of time to yeah. a point for them, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, it could have been. <laughs> well, the thing is, well, I mean, you, we went to, a, I went to a couple of the small winemakers um, afternoons, and this was, you know, in the middle of the economic crisis or whatever, 2010, 2011. And you go to one of them, and everyone just seemed angry and pissed off, and there wasn't really much excitement. And everyone's, I don't know, they're older, man, they're tired, and they're not really interested. Yeah. And you go there, and you come away uninterested. But I think if we had something like that, people would come away excited. Well, we are going to have something like that. Well, yeah, there you go. Or we do have something like that. We're going to have an event Um, January 24th, 25th, whatever that Friday is. Uh, or no, sorry, February 24th, 25th, and uh, I'm sure it'll be hyped everywhere we can. But uh, part of it too is tying in with a local restaurant, local cafe, with who is you know trying to get some excitement there, who's supporting us. So, uh, you know, not to make this all hype us up and do our thing, but you know, that's part of the reason we've got to pay the bills, you know what I mean? Mm. We've got to keep this going. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a a good range of wines there, but even that, but, but even it's about like our buddy James making cider, you know, you want to support him and do mm-hmm. do what he can too. Or if, if there was somebody who, um, you know, people mentioned me, Oh, I got a friend who makes beer. And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to just say, yeah, I support them and they can do it. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, 
if I knew them and they were passionate about it and they were the reason why we talk to the people we do is because we're into the same stuff, you know, and we hang out and we're uh, friendly with each other. And I think that's just as important as being passionate about, you know, production, you know, making a good wine or a good beer or whatever it is. You know, I got some friends who make beer and things, but that's the whole point is we're friends. You know, mm. we, we, uh, we have this group that we hang out and we want to, uh, do something together and say, Hey, you know, make some noise. So, yeah. um, that's hopefully where it's all heading and where we want to go with it. But, uh, Oh, Bryce, you got anything else you want to add to the, uh, was, speak out to the world about it? I you got to thinking about the new guard and what, what, what we can do with it in the future. Um, well, uh, lots of excited people within this, uh, mm. this, um, that's for sure. There's, meeting. um, but I think we need some, um, well, you know, what's interesting is we're getting excitement from other regions too. Is that right? <laughs> like I've got a buddy from Gisborne and a buddy from Martinborough are just like, Oh man, I wish it was something like that down here. So it's like the secret club. It reminds me of the, um, that movie with Robin Williams, uh, the dead poet society. Dead poet or whatever. society. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope it ends better than <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that movie did. Um, but everyone's really excited, but I think there needs to be a focus on being able to do it financially, making it work, you know. Everyone yeah, can make a barrel of wine. Everyone can make a barrel or two of wine from year to year, and it's fun and it's exciting, and you can swap, swap the wines and enjoy them and drink them and whatnot. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's fantastic. But what I want out of the, um, I guess, well, this is a personally driven thing but what i would like out of this group group is um to talk about and understand sales you know and, and how to sell wine and make it work for you so you can make more wine and actually be able to buy a new barrel every now and then and make yeah. and, and every year making better and better and better wine because um, just making it in the backyard is, as fun as it is I think we can take it further. Well, yeah, I mean, the certainly, you know, the next step where we do an event down here would be to do an event up in Auckland or do an event well, in exactly. and mm. uh and then and get more people actually up there selling it. Like I know you're selling wine, um, you have been for a while, Dan, and I know um, Jules has been selling and getting some amazing results. She's getting ninety five pluses from yeah. Bob Campbell and, yeah. and Michael Cooper and Raymond Chan and all these people. Amazing, man. This is well, cool. I, I cool. think part of it though is to be to push each other, but mm. also realize that we're all at different stages. I know, yeah, yeah, you know? Uh, yeah we are, we are. But um, everyone needs to pull out the people that are, are absolutely, and, yeah. And, and, yeah, and support e- support each other and say, hey, hop on this or here's a good idea. So, exactly. and that's probably what you didn't see when you went to that uh, sort of young or what was it, the small winemaker, small winery No, because everyone's 50-plus and have been through some difficult times in the industry, and they're tired, you know? And they're yeah. mostly they're coming from different industries. They're coming from banking and and, and, and property and... and Sale, retail, you know, or whatever They've made their money within money another industry, and I thought, well, it's a nice idea to go and buy a vineyard and set up a winery and, and do that. But Well, that's probably what's different about uh, our group is that we're... Some of us have done other things in life, don't get me wrong, but we're all coming at it because, I mean, nobody's starting with a million dollars and saying, oh, I'm just buying, which is actually not enough. (laughs) Just saying, I'm buying this property and I'm starting a winery because this is what my retirement is or something. No, we're saying, no, we're passionate about what we do. We love what we do. We want to make a life out of this. And how do we do it? How can we help each other do it? So 
it's not unheard of, you know, it's been done in other parts. Uh, you know, I've heard stories about people doing this in Napa and places like that back in the day. So, um, and even in, in New Zealand, you know, up up near Auckland, I was talking to Bob Campbell and he said, he said, yeah, well, I used to have a, he goes, "I, I have a young winemakers, uh, thing that I meet up with, uh, still we meet a few times a year and it's me and, uh, Nick Nobolo and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I think a few other people that have passed away since <laughs> and stuff. Man, cool, and these man. guys were like all in their seventies and they started meeting together when they were like in their twenties, Yeah, you know, and, uh, like in the late sixties, early seventies and stuff. So Nick, actually I met Nick Nobolo one night and he was telling me that and, uh, this is after we stepped on you guys. This is well before. No, this was in uh, like September. Yeah, it was in September. And I because, uh, and you know what's amazing about this? You know, we had that one meeting in July. It was our first one. And by the time I got to Auckland for a meeting before, I, I don't even think it was, I think it was before our second meeting, other people in Auckland had already heard about it. So. They were like, oh, what's this like young winemakers thing you're, you're doing? So it's all there for the taking, you know. We just yeah. got to hop on it and keep communicating and keep pushing and doing it and realize that there are people out there interested, in, even in the general public, that, that want to, you know, support and look for new interesting things and artistic things. So um, I think on that note, at a hour 24, I'm going <laughs> to. Hour 24. I think uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, man. That's good, man. Uh, I don't think that's my longest one, but that's uh, we certainly probably could do it again and talk more and uh, maybe get a third party involved on the next one. But uh, man, good luck with uh, Zaria Wines. Obviously, uh, I'll be there to support and buy wines right away. But uh, do you have a website that you're going to um, post don't at Don't currently point? have a website. I do own the website domain name. I do own the trademark as well. So, You'll be pleased to know. In case somebody's listening to this six months from now, you pretty six much... Six months from now, you will see your website, hopefully. Called Zaria Wines. <laughs> www.zaria.co.nz. Oh, cool. Although they have started the... I've got an email from my domain server um, today saying .nz is the way forward. What yeah, think? yeah, yeah. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. They're so starting maybe... to do a lot more of that dot .ny and dot... Yeah. Yeah, dot... Yeah, so that... that uh, well, good. So check check those wines out. Uh, obviously, easy enough in the new super connected world we have to just Google Zaria wines. And Bryce Edmonds has been here this evening, enjoying sunset with me and some nice uh, some red pinots in late spring. Well, it's actually summer now here in Hawks Bay. And uh, again, decibelwines.com uh, for the the holiday specials. I'll post this uh, later in the week. Hopefully by then everything will be up and running on the web store. And talk to you guys soon. Cheers.